Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. All right, thank you so much for being on the episode with us today, Paul. How are we doing today, brother? Migs, I'm doing well, my man. How about yourself? Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, really, really excited for this interview. We've been trying to lock this up for a couple of weeks, just a couple of busy guys. Um, so I'm just glad we finally got a chance to lock this in today. I'm really, really excited about this one. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do for a living, you know, all of that little normal stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my name is Paul Lupine. I'm from Long Island. I currently live in uh, Brooklyn, New York. I am a physical education teacher for the Department of Education in an elementary school and the uh, owner operator of my own personal training studio that I'm expanding in June. So that's pretty exciting. Um, in terms of what I do for like fun and stuff like that, I'm just like a fitness person. So I boxed since I was a kid. Um, I have my first powerlifting competition coming up, uh, ran an ultra marathon. So I try to switch it up and, you know, keep it fresh. Well, that's definitely switching it up. I don't know if it can get any more opposite between uh, boxing and marathon running, but I guess a lot of those two go together. If you've seen Rocky, he's always running and he's hitting the steps. Um, so it does make a lot of sense. Um, and go figure, an Italian from New York is in the, into boxing and fitness. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm all about it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm partial Italian myself as well. And I got some family from New York, so I'm all about it. Um, yeah, I'm actually like a quarter of town. My name's actually, it's French Canadian. Oh, but, okay. Uh, it well, sounds Italian though. No, no, it's yeah, all good, man. I'm a does. mutt. I'm like, a, I'm a million different things. It's all good. It's, it's the Paul Anthony that did it for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what our, what our uh, listeners can see today, because we don't use the video content is that you are definitely New Yorked out. Hopefully you're also a Yankees fan, but um, you're definitely oh, wearing fan, man. Oh, I'm a Mets man. fan. And he's wearing some Giants gear here as well. So yeah, for our it's listeners, draft day, third draft day. We'll, we'll try not to judge him. Are you happy with the draft so far? So far, I am, man. G-Men, they did pretty well. They, they went back. They got some picks for next year. I'm pretty content. I'm pretty happy with it. Well, I mean, you guys stand a chance. As long as the Patriots can get back to the Super Bowl, you guys might have a chance because that seems to be when you guys win. Um, yeah, it or, does, right? Or, or if, uh, if Brady comes back to the AFC, maybe you have a shot. But we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into a little bit more of your story. Why don't you tell us about your childhood growing up, Paul? Um, again, all that normal stuff, you know, before we kind of, uh, pick up into the drinking and drugging and just tell us about how, how your childhood was growing up. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I grew up, uh, primarily with my, my mom, my dad passed away when I was 12. Um, I found out as I was older that he overdosed, uh, when I was like 13 or 14 years old. So I grew up, it was just me and my mom and, um, it was me and her from like, 13 to 15 16 around there and then she got remarried she got remarried to a good dude we didn't get a long time but now we're really close like start calling him dad and stuff so that's good to like have that you know positive figure and all that stuff um so after my mom got remarried uh she got pregnant and she had my brother so there's a big age gap there so my brother's like 16 I'm, I'm 30 so um big difference there but so what happened then with my mom was I saw that she uh she got postpartum depression pretty severely after she had my brother and like really turned to the drink hard. So she just like lock herself in a room, drink all day, 
and that was it. And I, just, I, I don't want to lead and be so dreary with, with everything, but I just feel like in, in the context, like one thing I've learned in sobriety, like from sober a little over a year is like, that's kind of like the reason why I came to have like substance abuse issues. You know what I mean? And it's like, I feel like when you're in active use, you don't really go that deep into it. You know, you think like, oh, I just smoke because I like get, like smoke weed to like because I like to get high or I drink because I like to get drunk. Like you don't look at these like underlying things that really kind of like fueled that use, you know? So, but that was it. But then, you know, my mom got cleaned up. She's been sober like 13 years. So that's awesome. That's a blessing. Wow. And, and yeah, yeah. Mom's shout, a out, rock star, shout, man. shout out to that for sure. Keep Keep yeah. going, mama, one day at a time. We love it. 100%, 100%. And she, she's a good person to have in my recovery, you know, someone I can turn to and talk to and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so she got um, sober when I was like 16, 17 years old, kind of dealing with that in the mist, in the, in the mist excuse me, is um, when I got into athletics. That's when I started boxing to kind of cope with that stuff. So I started boxing when I was like 14, 15 years old. I had my first fight when I was 16. Um, and it was really like an escape for me, you know, I kind of never wanted to go home from school because I didn't know what I was going to go home to. So I would always go like straight to the gym and I just kind of lived there, you know, spend two, three hours a day there. Um, and that really helped me get through some of those difficult times. And I, I think I'm really lucky in that regard because I, you know, unlike a lot of people, I think a lot of people, they is getting off like my childhood, stuff, but they like find fitness after they've had a problem with alcohol or drugs, right? That's kind of like what they turned to. I was really fortunate in that I found that first. So I feel like it kind of helped me from maybe like going too far off the deep end, you know? But uh, but I started boxing, mom got better. And then, uh, I don't know, man, you know, I had my first fight and I remember I just felt like a little bit of a weight lifted in terms of like, I got a lot of anger and aggression out, but, and, uh, and yeah, so it, it caused me not to continue the sport, not to pursue the sport, which has always been a little bit of a regret, like hang up. Like, I feel like I never gave the sport as much as I really should have. And that's when I started turning into like substances and stuff. I started smoking weed. I really didn't like drinking too much. Like in my earlier days, I was really like a dawn till dusk stoner type, you know? And that and we definitely always like to throw like exact time frames for our listeners to really kind of like visualize what they're listening to. Why don't you tell us how old were you when you had your first experience with, with smoking, if that was the first thing you did? Yeah, for sure. So I would say my junior year in high school. So that's probably like 17, 16, 17 years old, something like that. Um, so that's when I started. And uh, yeah, you know, I'd have like the drink at like high school parties and stuff. But that was really the main thing was like smoking weed. That's what I really took to initially. And uh, that pretty much followed suit through college, you know, college, I started experimenting with some other things. Um, but marijuana weed was always the primary deal there. And then uh you know, over the years, I just found myself tending more towards alcohol, which I didn't like, you know, like I knew, like I saw firsthand the things alcohol could do. I didn't think cannabis, like smoking weed was as bad and uh, just more conducive to what I like to do. You know, I'd like to like smoke weed and go to the gym. It wasn't like, I felt like drinking. I was like canceling out everything I was doing like workout wise, you know, but I just kind of found like over the years, I just tended more towards alcohol. And then I just started, things kind of got worse. So Throughout college, you know, I experimented some harder drugs, probably used some a little more than I should have, but always managed to keep myself in check. Again, I feel like that comes back to kind of finding that fitness outlet at a young age. And I would turn to that, you know, like if I caught myself like going, using something too much, I'm like, okay, like I'm going to cool out and I'm going to hit the gym for like a month. So I always managed to like even the ship, so to speak. You know what I mean? 
And then it re my, my drinking really got heavy when I, I did a semester abroad in England. I went and I lived in Manchester for a semester. Um, I went over there, I played rugby, which is like wow. a big, like, yeah, it was dope, man. It was a lot of fun. Um, but the trip was fun. But, you know, that's when I kind of saw the writing on the wall. You know, the trip was fun, but I feel like I didn't make the most out of it. Like, I didn't leave Manchester all that much. I just kind of parked it there and, and boozed up. And, you know, I feel like it took away from that experience a little bit. And what's the, and, what's the like culture out there? Is it like, is it very like drinking, very, very accepted? Is it almost like encouraged? Cause I know some places you go, like they allow you to drink at an earlier age and it's almost like drinking is very, very accepted among, you know, social, social communities in, in the United States, almost anywhere you go. Um, and I've talked to some people where they even say like some of the Midwest States, like you could even get served under 21 as long as you were at the bar with your parents. So what was kind of like the culture in England? Was it just like very appropriate? Nobody's looking at you like you're drinking too much. Is it just kind of the norm out there? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, especially like being on the rugby team there, that, that was even a bigger push than the area itself. You know what I mean? And on top of that, you know, I didn't mention this, like I was coming from Buffalo, New York. That's where I went to college, which is like, I feel like everybody says that like, oh, it's so hard to not drink where I am. And it's a big drinking area and all that stuff. But like, that's what they do in Buffalo. Like they, it's like, it's really cold and like big football town, you know? So that's, that's nothing. I was on a fraternity in college too. So I was in a fraternity in Buffalo and then I joined a rugby team in England. So all those things compounded, you know, they probably didn't help me too much. Well, that culture probably started with a uh, four straight years of losing the Super Bowl. They were probably just trying to drown their pain in cope, Buffalo. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they got a good team now, though. They're coming up. Bills look good. Bills look yeah. real good. Yeah, they definitely do. Josh Allen is he's he's bringing he's them back. Truth. He's the truth. But uh, but yeah. So you know, I went to England, and then I kind of I I think that was an important point because I forget where I heard this, like one of the rooms or something. But it's like there's two important po points to identify, like when like drinking or use whatever like became a problem and then when like you notice it was a problem you know what I mean because those aren't necessarily the same thing so I think that's like when it became a problem was like when I went to England you know like a little lonely too you know I just like went over there by myself like 21 years old didn't know anybody um so there was that and then uh I moved back I moved from England in like 2012 2013 so I'm like 23 24 at this point um, finish off college. And then I kept living in Buffalo because I was bartending. So right when I moved back from England, I started bartending, which, you know, a lot of people's stories. I believe you worked in restaurants as well. I thought still do your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Head, so heading to the restaurant in, in about three, uh, shortly after this podcast is done recording, I'm heading to the restaurant to, for work tonight. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's rough. You know, it, it definitely lends itself to that lifestyle, especially you know, I got into it like serving and bar backing. And then when I started like just always being behind the bar, um, it definitely got a little harder. So I've, you know, fresh out of undergrad and I didn't see a reason to move home to Long Island. You know, I was supporting myself. I was making good money. It felt like a backwards move, you know, so I figured I'd stay in Buffalo. And then just that lifestyle definitely caught up to me. Like I got a, I got a job in this new big, nice restaurant that opened up, excuse me, downtown Buffalo. And it was like the talk of the town. It was like kind of a big deal. You know, and I got a job there and I was, I'm sure, you know, like I was doing like the brunch shift on like Tuesday and Thursday. And it's like, that's not what you want. I want to work the night shift. I want to make the money. Of course. Um, and I was like trying to work my way up. And then the bar I had worked at forever. I bartended there. It was like Halloween and I got off at like 12. And I remember being like, okay, I should go home. I have to work in the morning, but I stayed out to like five, rolled into work like an hour late, like half drunk, it got fired. So like that really sucked. I remember that same day I got my car towed for parking tickets in Buffalo because they have that alternate side parking. 
So like you got to be on like this side on Tuesday, Thursday, and you got to be on the other side of the street on like Monday and Friday. Okay. That kind of deal. So yeah, so it was just like a few things, but like probably, you know, these things happen due to my, you know, use and kind of being irresponsible, whatever. Right. So that's when I kind of saw the, started to maybe see the writing on the wall a little bit. I was using like cocaine probably too much as well. Just being in the bar scene up there. And uh, yeah, I just kind of started running out of money. You know, I just wasn't doing the right thing. I was living kind of recklessly and ended up moving back home to Long Island, helping out my family a bit. My brother at the time was like 12, 13 years old. They need some help with them. And my grandmother moving the house at the same time. So they need some help with her. And then I was living at home and just like still bartending, not really doing anything. Um, that I felt like I should be doing. And then I caught a DWE and that was 2000 and I'm going to say 14. Yeah. It was like 2014, 2015. I want to back up a little bit. I've never, I've never heard those, those letters D U E. Is that? Oh, D U I. I'm sorry. Okay. I thought that was actually something legitimate. I said D W E, just like abbreviated. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was like literally something different. I was like driving. I was trying to like run that through my head. I was like driving under was he, like ecstasy or something. I was trying yeah. to, I was like, is that something I thought it might've been legitimately something different. Sorry. I didn't mean to correct you there. No, 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 no. You're good. Yeah. Like a D week. So just like an abbreviated version. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. I got, yeah. I got lucky as lucky as I guess you can get with one of those things. Like I got it knocked down to like a driving impaired offense. Cause I've never been arrested or anything. So it wasn't like, a, it was just a violation. So that was, you know, good. But, uh, but yeah, man, you know, I was locked up for like a day and that was like, definitely like bottoming out, you know, like a wake up call. And I just felt like I needed to make a change. I need to do something. So I, um, after I got like out of jail, like the, the initial deal, like getting arrested, having the quarter arraignment and stuff like that. Like I just started applying to graduate schools in the city. Did like, you actually have to go you- to jail for that? No. So I will, the, the thing, I don't know if this is like universal, but in long Island and like New York, they don't let you go because they don't want you to leave and then drive again. Because there was like a case, I guess, where they arrested someone for a DWI and then they let them go like on bail and then they got back in their car and killed someone. So yeah. I don't know if that's like just a Long Island thing or across the board, but they, just, they don't let you go not, if, if you get one. It's it's definitely not just a Long Island thing. I think different states have um, maybe like different rules on the way they word it. But I know like specifically in Pennsylvania, when I got my DUI, um, the person, I think it was actually my mom that came and signed me out like, they actually made her sign a paper that she was actually responsible for me for the next 12 hours. Mm. So like anything, anything I would do, like she had to come get me. And then if I would have gotten another DUI under the next 12 hours, uh, she could have been held just as much legally responsible. Um, so it, it sounds like it's very similar. They're just trying to make sure that, you know, if they're not going to keep your ass in jail, they want to make sure that whoever's coming to get you is just trying to be responsible. Cause like you said, you can't give someone a DUI and then let them right back out on the road just because you arrested them. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just as dangerous. Sorry. I lost I think... it for a second. You're back. Okay. Um... Yeah. But, but yeah, anyway, um, uh, but yeah, go ahead. And, uh, so continue. So you, you pretty much get out of that. And then what happens after that? Yeah. So about eight months later, I moved to New York. I moved to Brooklyn to start going to grad school. Um, so I just like that kind of lit a fire under my ass. So I just started like applying to grad program, trying to get into a program. I always had the idea in my head to be a teacher. Like, you know, I've, I've always tended towards like exercise. So I thought a gym teacher would be a good gig. I've always been good with kids. Um, so, so yeah, so I found this program. It was weird. So it was a master's program in physical education, but it was specifically like a non-certification degree. So it wasn't really named properly. It was like the first year they were doing this program. 
and they were just trying to get people into it. So it was a cohort program. So the college I went to paired with this nonprofit, right? So I worked with the nonprofit in a school as like a coach during recess. So a lot of kids like don't get recess nowadays. So there's actually a lot of like nonprofit programs to give them recess um, and other things like that in the school. So I got a job with this nonprofit working in a school in that capacity. Like I was a coach during recess. I set up games for them to do and they paid for my master's program. So I was like, bet. I'm like, that's a good deal. Like I get experience in the school. I get a paid for master's. Adelphi is a pretty good school here in New York. So I was like, okay, I'll roll with that. And I knew it wouldn't lead to the certification, but I'm like, I'll figure that out. Like after I'm sure it'll help, you know? So, um, did that, got through the master's program. And like my first few years in New York, two years, I was kind of too busy to have, um, like drinking or anything be a problem. You know, I was always okay in the sense of like, if I had a full plate, I felt like I was okay. Like if I kept busy, I wouldn't like drink because I, I would meet, I would do what I needed to do. You know what I mean? I would at least get, like, get that done. Um, so, you know, I had a few shaky moments, but from my master's program and I kind of had to make a decision because like I said, I didn't have a teaching certification, but I had this master's degree. So I was like, okay, I could find out what I need to do to be a teacher or I could continue to pursue personal training. My last year, my master's program, I started training people um, and managed to build myself like a nice little business, you know, like on the side. So I kind of wanted to give that a shot. I wanted to compete again. So I wanted to fight. So I thought, all right, I'll, excuse me, like I'll give myself some time. I'll try to build up my business. And then if in a year, I'll see where I'm at, maybe go back to teaching. And then I got uh, a hernia. I got like an umbilical hernia around like two, three months into that. And that really kind of jacked me up because I couldn't train, like I couldn't exercise and I couldn't work. So I lost a good bit of my business. And then I started like drinking too much and, you know. How crippling, kind of like how crippling is that? Is that like, I mean, I always, I mean, I've never dealt with a hernia. Um, and one of my coworkers actually just had surgery for that. Like my knowledge with hernia is only kind of what you see, you know, athlete sports hernia. It's kind of like something it, it, from what I know, it's like something near your like grown area and it kind of like can affect like your walking, but like, is it so for you not even to be able to bartend, like how, how crippling is that? Oh, so at the time I really wasn't bartending anymore. I was personal training full time. Okay. Um, and also, so I had, there's a few different types of hernias, right? So I had an umbilical hernia. So pregnant women get it a lot. So it was like in my belly button. So more so just like the area of it. Cause that's like your center, you know, like that's where all your movement kind of starts and comes from for sure. You know? So like, the hernia, it's like, so I had a few instances too, where like, I don't know exactly what it is, but like a hernia, it's like a little like protrusion, right? Like, like your, your guts basically like break through the wall there. And I, once it got like, right before I had to have the surgery, I had a few instances, instances where like, it would like, not to be gross, it would like harden. And I would have to like, literally like relax and like lay down and breathe and kind of like push it back in into place. Ooh. It was like kind of gnarly. So like, I was worried to do anything strenuous in them. After the surgery, I had a mess patch. So it just like took a little bit to like get to full speed. But I'd say all in all, I was probably on the shelf for like six weeks okay. in terms of like being able to watch it with work, like, you know, and not really exercise. But, uh, but yeah, those two things compounded kind of hit me and you know, I was getting broke and I couldn't really, um, you know, like do any serious physical activity. So then I started drinking a lot and then this was New Year's 20... I'm gonna say like 2017, probably. I would I picked up a bartending shift. So it wasn't really bartending, but the bar I used to work at just like needed someone and they called me. It was like, oh, I'll go. And then like 
I wasn't doing so good. So I was like, you know, I was drinking a lot. I remember I drank like a six pack before I even went to my shift and just like blacked out. I think I like walked out halfway through the shift and I got home and I'd lost my phone and my wallet, like on the way home, just like drunk walking home. And I was just like lost. I was like broke again. I had like no money. Um, I had to like call my mom to come pick me up from Long Island. I'm in Brooklyn. And that was like a shitty moment. So kind of like the DUI, I was like, okay, I need to like do something. Like I need to like figure something out. So then I started figuring out what I needed to do for that teaching certification. Um, fast forward, like a long year later, I was like a part, I was like a full-time student for a semester. I took a bunch of certifications exams. I was a substitute teacher full-time, which was like awesome. That was something like I really wanted for a long time. I felt like I finally worked towards, like it took me years to get. Um, and yeah, during that time I started dating the, my current girlfriend who I'm with now, we live together. And this is the thing that really got me sober. It's like, my life was doing pretty good. You know, like I described those two times where like, I got a DWI and you know, I, I had that incident in New years where I drank too much and lost my phone and wallet, whatever. And like, things weren't going good then, you know, like I didn't feel like my life was in a very good place. And then fast forward to, you know, where, where I'm at now is like, I have this girlfriend, I have a good job, like things are going well. And then like drinking was still kind of a problem. Like the, so the thing that really got me to like get sober was going upstate with my girlfriend for like an engagement party for her friend and just like getting too drunk. I was like trying to like pick a fight with this dude and like just like Irish exited her party and she had like chased me down. I'm walking like the wrong. Right, but, uh, but yeah, after that incident with my girlfriend, I. just really took a hard look at my relationship with things were seemingly going pretty well in my life. You know, I had a job, I had a girlfriend, like I had money in the bank, like things were going okay, but I was still having these problems. So yeah, so I kind of made a decision. I had a few events coming up. I had a vacation with some college buddies in Florida. Then I had some buddies coming into the city from college. And then I just kind of made the choice after that, that I was going to stop. I dove into some Quitlet podcasts and stuff. And yeah, then my last drink was February 29th, 2020. And the timing's crazy because COVID hit like right after that. And I think that just really kind of helped me just because I didn't have anything that I had to do that would have like jacked it up, you know, like no friends going out or parties or anything like that. Like I really had the time to myself to just kind of like do the work, so to speak, you know, like go to meetings, do my own thing, train a lot and uh, get well. Yeah, for sure. And there's definitely a lot of stuff that I want to talk about there that I heard as well. A um, uh, few things being that you pointed out, like you said, I think with a lot of us, there are kind of two different times in our life. There's the time where the problem starts and then there's the time where we're realizing the problem is starting because um, those are definitely not the same time because we continue to go down those paths for a long time and those things just continue to spiral. Um and I think there's very, there's probably a handful of people in this world that actually realize they have a problem as soon as the problem is actually starting. Um, Cause I think a lot of those people probably would be able to nip it in the ass and they probably wouldn't have to end up going to meetings and they probably wouldn't end up calling themselves an alcoholic because they would just be able to chill out and they would be able to get back down the responsible path. Um, and then I, it's, it's really interesting for you because I've talked about this as well. Um, anybody with like a year to a year and a half sober uh, really kind of holds a special spot in my heart personally, because um, I know how hard that first year of sobriety was. And so to do that in like the heart of the pandemic, right in the middle of COVID, when there are no meetings around, 
um, and you have to do things differently. You know, things that weren't traditional for many, many years that worked for a lot of people that can be some really, really scary stuff. Um, and so I, I know that's got to be rough. And again, anybody with that with that amount of time clean really, really holds a special spot in my heart because you did it in probably one of the toughest times um, to ever sober up ever. Um, and then a really, really interesting thing as well is to do it on February 29th. Um, uh. Pretty much like a leap year, a leap year sober baby um, is really, really cool. And uh, I, I joke around my wife all the time because her birthday is February 28th, um, her actual birthday. And it's, she was only a few hours away from actually being a leap year baby. And so I actually tell her it's, it's funny because, you know, she would, she, you know, what would your birthday be? Would it be February 28th? Would it be March 4th? Um, so that's, that's something I, I, I have to ask you. So, you know, going forward, I mean, obviously you're not only going to celebrate a birthday every four years. So how, how did you do that this year? Did you, did you celebrate on the 28th or did you wait till March 1st? So I guess technically, I guess technically my sober date, I think is technically March 1st, but my last drink was on the 29th. I don't know. I think, I don't know exactly how people go about that. Okay. And last... that, okay. That makes a little bit of sense. So in that, yeah. in that case, then, I mean, I guess it's, it's really up to you, I guess, how you decide on your sober birthday. But the way I was taught when I went in the rooms is the last day you drink is not your sober birthday. It's pretty much, it starts with the first day you wake up sober. So like I, I tell, I so like my, my last day I drank was May 30th. So I celebrate okay. like my sober birthday is May 31st. Cause that's the first day that I woke up sober and I decided no more. It's the first day I rallied 24 hours together. Mm. Um, so I guess for the sake of that, um, you know, it could be March 1st, but I'm not going to, I'm, you know, that's, that's not for me to decide. Um, I'm no doctor. I'm, I'm not the sobriety police. So that's, that's for you to decide. Um, that's just my personal opinion because I used to ask the same question is my birthday on May 30th or the 31st. Um, but again, that's, I guess that's not too important. Anyway, we, we all get the point there, um, which I really commend. So you have now 14 months or so, um, which is absolutely unbelievable. Um, actually it'd probably be exactly 14 months today. If, if you would, if you would call it March 1st, oh, yeah. um, yeah. but that's really, really cool. So definitely congratulations on that. That's, that's some heroic shit. And like I said, you're right in the heart of, of that, that person that really holds that special spot. Cause you pretty much had to do it through the pandemic and through these tough times. Um, Cause you sobered up just two weeks before the world shut down. Uh, so really, really kudos to uh, not giving up. Cause a lot of people out there use that as an excuse. Well, I'll start later. I got to deal with this. I got to deal with that. So, you know, definitely kudos to not giving up there, sticking to what you set out to do and, and still being here today to be able to celebrate, you know, still having 14 months sober, which I absolutely love. Uh, so why don't you tell us what worked for Paul? How did, how did Paul get sober? Cause we don't, uh, again, I'm not a doctor and I'm not here to tell people how to get sober. Um, I just love it when people are. So, you know, AA isn't for everybody. NA isn't for everybody. Smart recovery isn't for anybody or everybody. So everybody has a different way. Everybody has a different path. Why don't you tell us Paul's path and what worked for you? Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's an awesome point. And I think that's something that's really come to light in recent years what, from what I've gathered in like sober communities, like Instagram and all that stuff is like people have really embraced like, you know, these all this all pathways kind of approach. Like there's no one right way. Um, yeah, I probably I should have mentioned that I did find myself about two years prior to getting sober. Or so um, I found myself at a couple AA meetings. 
Okay. Um, now, so, sorry, real quick. Were you, were you at those meetings? Um, did, were you actually identifying as an alcoholic at that point and trying to stop, or were you just kind of what we call sober curious and wanted to, wanted to see what was going on in the rooms? I would say somewhere in the middle. Okay. Yeah. I would say somewhere in the middle. I had like, not, uh, I had this, uh, this girl I knew from Buffalo that I always had a thing for, like kind of came down to visit me and we were always drinking buddies and just like, you know, I kind of drank too much and just like, didn't shoot my shot or whatever. And that like really kind of, kind of hit me. And I, I was, you know, having a hard time. That might be that. a good thing if the current girlfriend ends up listening to this, we'll, we'll make sure that we point that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> no, current girlfriend doesn't really drink. So that's good. That's good. Um, but yeah, so yeah. So it's, it's funny because you know, this was my experience. And this is what I've heard from a lot of people is that I went to a couple, I'm gonna say I went to like, four, or so. First one I went to like, I shared and like, met some cool people and was kind of into it. But I guess I wasn't ready to like, kind of make the leap yet. And then I went to a couple weird ones where they're like, weren't a lot of people and it felt kind of awkward. And it wasn't really comfortable and didn't feel like I belonged there. Right. And then, then I went to one and like, I'll never forget this. There was this man and he was sharing and I just like, I felt so bad for this man, but he was just like broken. He was like older gentleman, probably in his like mid fifties or something like that. And just like trembling, shaking, talking about like, he didn't want to go back to rehab and his friends are getting clean. And this will be like his fucking third or fourth time back. And, and it, I, I waited till he finishes, he finished. And then I walked out and I was just like, I'm not, that's not me. That's just kind of what I thought, you know, like I, I had that thought ran through my mind. I'm like, you know, like I'm not, bankrupt i didn't get divorced like i had a dwe but i got over that whatever you know what i mean i just i guess that just seeing that gentleman share and some of the other things just like i didn't identify with that you know um so went on drinking for a couple more years and it kind of progressed and then what worked for me when i got sober was i felt like i didn't need the community and the meetings and stuff as much because i already do a lot of the things that sober people pick up right? Like I already exercise. I already have like a pretty strict morning routine. I meditate, I do yoga, I do all the mindfulness nonsense, you know, like I'm into all this stuff already. And especially like I said, with COVID, like there were some things that made it hard, but you know, it gave me a lot of me time, you know, so I really like I, I dove into a lot of those habits that I felt helped me, you know, I meditated a lot, I wrote a lot, writing was a big thing for me, like, about um, a year so like from that meeting I went to that AA meeting to when I get sober it's about two years I started writing um and really that's all it was was just like you know and I flipped through it from time to time and it's good like sober fuel it'll be like oh like two three days without drinking and then like I fell off the wagon and it's just like a series of like those day ones so the writing helped me a lot especially kind of diagnosing the problem um and even now like if I'm having second thoughts I'll flip through those pages and I'll just see like it's a tangible you know, memory of those struggles, because we forget, you know, like you forget, like what a rough time of it you were having. Oh, and if I'm sure. ever like flirting, yeah, if I'm ever like flirting with the idea, I'll flip through some of these pages and be like, ah, like maybe not, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so at the time, like I said, I dove into those habits, I was going to train to fight. And then I realized how serious the lockdowns were and everything. And they weren't having fights for a while. So I started training for an ultra marathon, which I ran in August. So I got sober in February, ran that in August. Um, and yeah, like I said, habits, man, like yoga, meditation, writing, like all of this stuff. Um, and I was doing one smart recovery meeting a week, which I liked. I liked the smart recovery. I, I took to that more than AA. 
Um, and then when things kind of started clearing up three or four months in, I hit a rough patch, like, cause I was going home. I think it was like Memorial day. And I had like serious pause. Like I didn't know what it was at the time, but like, like the post acute withdrawal symptoms. Like I remember being at these family parties and my family is they're their partiers. They're really heavy drinkers. They like get after it, you know? And I remember just being miserable at these things. Like the only thing I could focus on was like not having a drink. I was like fucking miserable. And I, I started thinking, I'm like, it's not worth it. I'm like, if I'm not being present at these, you know, during this time with my family and it's completely ruining that, like it's maybe it's not worth it, you know? So I started diving into like the community aspect a little more. I actually, I joined uh, Cafe RE. So like Recovery Elevator Podcast, they have like this little uh, Facebook group community and that helped a lot. I think a lot of it too is, I think you need that community aspect, but I think the important thing is finding people you identify with within them, right? And that doesn't, I don't think that's even necessarily like a change in program because you can go to an AA meeting, I think in one town and it's night and day from a meeting in another town. It's just the people, you know? So I think if you have to, yeah. So I think you just have to really kind of like know and identify with the people that you're sharing that, that experience with. Cause I think so many people go through this experience and obviously you're not going to identify with all of them, you know? So you have to find people that you do have that connection with. And then, then for me too, you know, I think one, one thing that got me to stop was considering my health, you know? And uh, like I said, you know, I boxed for a long time and that compounded with like drinking to blackout a lot. That's not so good for my brain. And I was kind of worried about that. I found myself getting really forgetful and this is like, I'm in my late twenties, you know? So I, I, I really wanted to address that. And then, you know, I was always a really fit person. I was always strong and I could run fast, but like I've never really been that healthy. And it's like a big difference. You know, I think a lot of people in recovery miss that. They like, you know, they get sober and they turn to extreme exercise, which is better, but it's not healthy. Like, and, and it's, and I'm not knocking it at all because I do it, but you know, they're worthwhile pursuits. But like, if you're running 50 mile weeks, like that's not healthy. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're taxing your, your body, you know, you're putting a little wear and tear, you know, and it feels good. And it helps you. That's awesome. And again, I do this kind of like I'm training for a powerlifting competition in three weeks and I have bulging discs in my neck. Like, I know that's not the, the move, you know, I know that's not healthy, but it's what I want to do. So I'm going to do it. Oh yeah, definitely. You got a, a lot of, a lot of people are listening to this podcast right now. Like what the fuck did he just say? Cause I just ran 60 miles this week and I'm feeling fine. Um, so I, I think a lot of that is just kind of like depends on how you train your body, but I think anything too much in excess that you're not training properly for can definitely be bad for you. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's another thing I've realized in like trying to train some people in the recovery communities. Like we all need, I think a little more like strength training, like you're saying, like how you go about it to kind of keep the body up and keep the body strong. Cause I, I found that most people tend towards like long running or like boxing and these like higher like anaerobic activities that put you in a real feel-good mood because you get the endorphins from that stuff not as much so like the weightlifting stuff absolutely and i think one thing like i I think even i would probably even like even go a step further on like disagreeing and agreeing with you politely on like two aspects that you said like i'd probably disagree that running 50 miles a week is probably bad for you Um, maybe i'm just being biased because you know, I put in quite a few 50 mile weeks as a distance runner myself, but I would also agree with you that if you're not throwing in the proper strength training with it, that it is bad for you because you're not building up the core um, and the, and the muscle strength to be able to take on those 50 mile weeks. So 
Um, if you're just going out and, and even my run coach will say this as well, because she's a physical therapist, uh, assistant as well. And so she works in that field. So, you know, even she would say, and she gets on me all the time about, um, cross training. And she actually got to the point where she wants me to stop calling it cross training and just flat out call it training, training, because it's important. Um, you know, if you're just going out and running 50, 60 miles a week, and you're not doing anything else with it, it's going to be bad for you. Cause it's going to take a toll on your legs and your body. Um, but as long as you're, you're training everything around and you're working on your leg strength and your core strength, I think your body can really, really handle that. Um, which again, you would know a lot as well, because, um, you're a personal trainer and I see the stuff you're doing in the gym and you're an absolute savage. Um, but, and I'm, I'm going to have you continue talking on this point as well. But before I go any further, I do want to point out a few things that I'm taking notes here on what you said, which are important. And this is things I talk about a lot in the podcast. Um, so a few things backing up. Uh, first is, you know, sitting in that room and hearing the story of that older gentleman who's, you know, in his 50s and you walking out because you didn't identify with him. Um, and I think one thing that is scary is that you pointed out, you know, I don't identify because this isn't me. I'm still responsible. I'm still doing this. I'm still doing that. And I'm sure one thing that you notice now, probably, you know, in further into your recovery now after rallying, um, you know, 424 hours instead of two or three at that point. Um, the difference is, you know, at 28 years old, 27 years old, it might be hard to identify with that guy. But if you stay on that path for another 22, 23 years old, um, you definitely could be that guy. You could be 52 years old and, you know, sitting in a room and begging to not want to be in rehab again and going through this and that. And, and one thing I always point out as well to our listeners and to everybody, um, rock bottom isn't a place, a destination or an event. It's when you stop fucking digging. Um, and that's what I've said to a lot of people. Um, that's kind of one thing that I personally live by. And it's kind of one of my many mantras that I roll by, you know, and, and again, it's, it's not a, it's not an event. It's when you stop fucking digging. It's when you decided that you had enough and when you want to live a better lifestyle. So I think that's really, really important. I'm glad you kind of brought that up because, you know, you probably didn't identify with that guy at the time, but I'm sure you'd probably admit that, you know, if you kept staying on that path, you could have easily been that guy. And, you know, if, if we're trying to put out marking sticks and yardsticks on things, you might've ended up worse. And I don't mean just you, any one of us, who just continues thinking that we're not that bad. Eventually we could be way worse than that person. We're trying to not be as bad as a hundred percent. And that's one thing I, I, I always think as well. Like I, I always say like, there's at least a solid like five to 10% chance that alcohol would like completely ruin my life. You know what I mean? Like one thing I touched on earlier was I was lucky that I found fitness as a young age. Cause I, and I always use like training and that stuff to like combat that. And it maybe stopped me from getting like, you know, to the point of that gentleman in the room, you know what I mean? But you know, I, I did this one thing called like a past authoring, future authoring program. And it's just this thing where you basically just write like an autobiography of your life, right? Like you, you detail the events and things that happen. Then you also go like your ideal future, like what you'd want that to be. And part of the exercise is to get real clear, like very, very specific in particular on like, where will you end up if like your bad habits get the better of you? Like, where do you go if, you know, you know, and for me, I knew what it was. It's like my drinking gets out of hand. You know what I mean? Like, where does that lead me? You know, so I've gotten real clear about like the possibilities of that. You know what I mean? And also too, especially terms like finding your rock bottom, whatever that is. I think, I think a lot of us would benefit from being more, um, what's the word? I'm completely using the word. Don't have your, to, to take away your own objective take away your own personal bias from the situation. You know what I mean? Like, look at you from the outside. Look at you like you didn't know you. 
You know what I'm saying? And like, that's where I got to where it's like, okay, I have a genetic predisposition on both sides of my family from my mom and my dad, pretty hard. From that, I have a good amount of like childhood trauma from that, which all the research I've done and I dug into the, the research a decent bit, like that's what it all points to. Like more stuff recently is pointing more to more to like the childhood trauma stuff being an indication of addiction and, and, and issues along those lines than like the genetic predisposition. And I'm like, okay, so you got both. And then I'm like, okay, look at how I drink. You know what I mean? Like the last year of my drinking, I looked at it really objectively. Like, I was like, okay. I was like, I'd rather drink by my, excuse me. I'd rather drink by myself. Okay. I almost always black out. Okay. I drink really, really fast. Okay. I, you know, have had people tell me maybe like, I need to watch it. So I just look at those. Like, I look at me like I'm someone I don't know. For sure. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, do I think that person should drink? Probably not. Now I want to ask you, cause you, you brought up as well. Like, and again, you come, you come from uh, an addiction family, you know, coming from your mother as well. Um, and your father and, you know, myself as well. I come from an alcoholic father and an alcoholic grandmother. Um, and I know at one point, uh, shortly before I sobered up, I remember my dad and myself getting to an argument where he never actually called me an alcoholic, but it was the one time where he pretty much told me, yeah, whatever, why don't you just go have another drink? Um, and this was, this was my, this was coming from the sober version of my dad, who was actually at the time working a program. Um, have you ever, did you ever have any situations where your mom, I'm even not necessarily calling you out on it, but did your mom ever try and talk to you and say, Hey, I'm starting to realize some patterns. Like, you know, look where, look where it got me. Like did, did that kind of ever happen for you? Not so, not so much. I think for two reasons, I think one, cause she felt real guilty about some of the things that had happened, like some of what she did when, when she was drinking and also too, like, you know, even back, I remember even after I got my DW in like 2015, like I kind of saw the writing on the wall, you know what I mean? Like I would kind of have like those fleeting thoughts, like, Oh, maybe I can't drink. And then I remember I would kind of pick at her, like poke at her about it, you know, and try to talk to it. And she didn't really give me much back. And I feel like she just kind of realized that I wasn't there. Like I wasn't ready to like make that leap yet. But then once I got like a few months and I told her like, because one thing too is like whenever I looked at stopping drinking until this most recent, I never ever considered like I'm gonna stop. My thing was I was always like I'm gonna stop for a year. I'm you gonna control it. You didn't want to quit. You wanted to control. Yeah, it. exactly, exactly. Sure. And that was always always my thing for like a long time. For like since I got that DW, I was I always had this idea in my head like I'm gonna take off a year. I'm gonna stop drinking for a whole year, and that's gonna change it, and that's gonna change how I look at it. Like I even uh I don't know if you're familiar with like Hello Sunday Morning. You ever no. hear that? Oh, it's good. Worth looking into, man. It's pretty cool. So it's this like uh, blog kind of deal, but like it's like an online journal kind of blog deal, right? And people like with alcohol, like struggling with alcohol, right? And it just like it challenges you to take like a three month break or like a year break. And then every Sunday you like check in, like you write your blog and it's kind of like a social media thing. Like people follow you, you follow other people, you read what they write, but then like it's supposed to be like three months or a year you take off. And then every Sunday for, during that time, you write, you go online and, you know, um, and I remember finding that, like, yeah, like I'm going to do a year. I'm going to change my relationship with alcohol. Like I'm going to do a year, you know? And then this, just this last time when I really went for it, I think just not having that end made it, made it work. You know, you, that was your first question. Like what's worked for you, you know? Cause I think when you have that end in sight, it was so much easier for me to like put it off you know what I mean? Or do, or be content with the time I gathered, you know, I'd be like, Oh, I quit for like two months. That's a lot. That's a long time. That's good. I'm all right. 
you know what I mean? But then this time going into it, just being like, no, like, I'm not going to drink anymore. Like I'm good. It made a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's really, really cool. Some of the stuff that, um, that you were doing and some of that stuff that, that you were working through. Um, and one thing I really liked as well is like the whole journaling idea. Cause I had someone else on here who actually talked about, you know, they would write and they, they would be in and out of the rooms and they would rally a few days at a time and whatnot. And they said, you know, um, they didn't regret just getting a few days at a time. Cause it was almost like laying a foundation. Do you ever find yourself looking back at some of that stuff you wrote? Um, you know, when times are really tough or especially in that first year of sobriety or even the first few months when things are really, really tough, do you find yourself looking back at some of that stuff you wrote to kind of remind yourself where you don't want to go back to and that, how, you know, you don't want to have to start back from day one again ever? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like, like I said, like when I'm like having a craving or from having a rough day and like the thought crosses my mind, like I might just flip through those pages real quick. And that usually helps me that. out. You know, I love that. Yeah. That helped me big time. I love everything about that. And that's something that I never, I never did myself. Um, I do remember I actually wrote a poem called my first 29 that I actually recited in the room when I got my 30 day coin. Um, and I kind of recited it in front of all the people that I've been going to the to meetings with every day for the first 30 days. And it's something that I find myself looking back on from time to time. I actually think I just shared it in the, in the ODAT page and Facebook group recently um, because it was written from, it was written on my 29th night. So it was, it was written on that true raw perspective. Those were real feelings. It wasn't me, you know, now looking back saying, Oh, this is how the first 30 days went. It was written on day 29. So I knew everything was authentic and genuine. And that was all where it was coming from. Um, but I love that you do that writing because when you hit a tough time, um, you can really sit back and reflect. And that probably helped a lot as well going through, you know, trying to sober up in the COVID times when, you know, things weren't as accessible as they were prior. And, and I, I really commend you for that. And that's really, really cool. Just being, being open about that. Cause again, that's something that, you know, if we're trying to put labels on things, that's something that a lot of like gym rats or meatheads, so to speak, wouldn't be comfortable admitting, Oh, I write and I do this and that because people would kind of look at it like, Oh, you're soft and this and that. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, anybody who can, uh, anybody who can go ahead and write their honest feelings down on a paper and truly tell how they're feeling and then can go sling around some weights. Yeah. Go ahead. I dare you to go ahead and call that dude soft. Cause I promise he'll eh, probably show you how soft he isn't. Um, it's just, that's, that's true raw emotion. And that's, that's about as manly as it gets. Um, and you know, for all of our women listeners, you know, that's as, as tough as it gets, we won't say as manly as it gets as as tough as it gets. Um, and that's, that's some raw shit. And I, I, I commend the shit out of you for that brother. And I love it. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. And I think there's a fine line there, you know, like, you know, like I, like, I don't know. Like I, I think sometimes like you, you can't be like too soft or light with that stuff. You know what I mean? Like some, some of the stuff around that, like, like, I don't know, like I work in elementary school, so I see a lot of it, you know what I mean? Just like this radical self-acceptance, like you're okay with who you are. Like, maybe you're not, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't okay. Like I wasn't okay with who I was like a year ago. Like I needed to make a change and I did, and I'm in a better place now. You know what I mean? Like, like some of the stuff like that, but it, I, I disagree with a little bit, but it is true. It is like important to like be vulnerable in like some of those situations. So like, you know, right. Or whatever it is to like process like your feelings and stuff like that stuff's important for sure. Yeah. And, and definitely. Um, and that, and like I said, I, I, I definitely commend anything you're doing and it's really, really cool to just get your emotions out there sometimes. Um, and like you said, just show your vulnerability. Um, and again, I, I love everything you're doing there. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and talk more about your, your fitness journey? Um, 
and everything that you got going on. Cause now, now I'm going to go ahead and talk about all the stuff that I see and what made me want to get you into this interview as well. Cause I know your sobriety. Well, I didn't know your sobriety story. Um, and it's really, really cool to hear. And I love everything about it, brother. And again, congratulations on 14 months today. That's absolutely commendable. Maybe that was, maybe it was meant for this to happen today, just so we can kind of point that out. Um, yeah that it's, you know, it's, it's timing, you know, things work the way they work for a reason. And I, I love everything about that. And it's really cool. Cause I also wanted to ask you what kind of teaching you did, which you've already answered for us. Cause when we were trying to schedule just, you said you were a full-time teacher and I was kind of curious what you did, um, but doing phys ed for kids and then going ahead and, you know, training people at night um, and just all the awesome stuff. And I see the videos and the boxing and dude, you're, you're a beast and you know, you're, you're a strong motherfucker. And I, I see the stuff that you're doing and it's some real savage work and I love everything about it. I love following you on Instagram. Um, I always look forward to any post that you're going to put up. Um, Cause they're always so inspirational. Uh, that one with the boxing bag, um, juking it around and whatnot. That was, that was really cool. I like that one a lot. Um, I know you said you put some time into it, so definitely worth worth a look. Cause when you put some time into that, um, I like it. And, and again, too, um, not being afraid to point out your flaws too. Cause I think, I think someone even commented on there and said, um, you know, if I would have tried that, I would have been, I would have got hit by the bag a million times. And I think you even said something along the lines of, you know, if you think this was the first video, or if you think I didn't get hit by the bag a bunch of times and you're silly as well. And I think that's really cool. Is just like, you know, it's, it's, it's practice. It's practice. It's practice. It's, it's one step at a time, one rep at a time, one day at a time. And I love everything about that, brother. It's, it's the shit is it's, it's genuinely inspirational. Um, and I, I love it all. So go ahead and talk about, you know, your gym rat, your fitnessness, and everything that you're doing in, in the fitness world. Let's talk about it. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, I found boxing when I was a kid and that's always been like, one of my favorite things in the world, you know, like, like it helped me get to that difficult time. I described my childhood and it's something that I'm not really content with. It's something that I feel like I need to give more of myself to because it's given me so much, you know, like I've been boxing since I was 14 years old. I'm 30 now. And I only have four fights with like, so, and it's just something that I'm not content with. So it's something that I plan on. How did the fights go? Do you want to talk about any of them? Yeah, for sure, man. My first fight when I was a kid, I did great. I got like a second round knockout. The kid was way bigger than me. Um, did How'd really you do well. it? I just stop it. I just outworked him. I just gassed him. You know what I mean? Okay. I just had, yeah. Okay. Um, and then my second fight, I didn't fight again until I was 24 years old. And that was actually kind of right before I got my DUI. When I, I, I remember I was uh, a little embarrassing, but that's what all these stories are. I was out with this chick that was like, I wasn't that popular in high school. And I was bartending and this girl walked into the bar that was like miss shit in high school, like super popular and all this shit. Right. And I like talked her up and I took her out and I just basically got too drunk on the date. And like, I passed out on her mid makeout, I guess. Like, I don't even remember. And that happened. And I was just like done. Like I was like, so like upset with my drinking and everything. And my gym had like a show fight in three weeks. And I was just like, sign me up. Like, I'm going to do it. Mind you, like I said, like my first fight, I was 16. I'm 24 here. So it's like a, you know, like a good gap. But I just hopped in and I did it. I lost that one. Then my third fight, I did it through um, Gleason's gym here, which is like a really famous boxing gym, like in the city. It's like the like one of the oldest ones in America. And it was like a charity fight. I did good in that one. I won. And then my last one was like two or three years ago. I lost a split. So again, like I, I feel like the sports give me so much and I only have four fights with a 500 two and two record, you know, so it's something I want to pursue more, even though 
a little older, got a little wear and tear, but whatever, you know, you that's super cool though. I, I love boxing and that's like super, super cool. Um, to just hear about that. And I, I can't wait, man. If you, if you find yourself back in the ring or even just sparring, I would love, I would love to see some videos. You're not too far away in New York. Um, if you're, if you're actually fighting, fighting, I would definitely love to come out, especially if it's for charity, support the cause. Um, and, uh, definitely, uh, you know, obviously not be in your corner cause you don't want me in your corner. Cause I don't know shit about actual boxing, boxing other than just watching, but like, I would love to be in your corner in spirit and just be in the stands and just rooting your name brother. Cause I think that's absolutely awesome. And I, I love everything that you're doing, man. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, let's, let's get back into the, the yeah. training and everything that goes with that. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's like, uh, the boxing stuff, but I, I try to do a lot of different stuff. You know, I feel like I, I really want to kind of like explore my limits, like what I'm capable. So I try to like, you know, dip my toes in different pools, like, just do different stuff. So I really got into, so after I had my first fight when I was a kid, I kind of didn't work out too much. And then before I went to Manchester, like I mentioned earlier, I started kind of hitting the weights and going to the gym. Cause I want to like, I was going to play rugby. And then when I was in England, even when drinking was kind of heavy, I feel like even then I started to compensate with the gym stuff, like starting going to the gym and working out a lot. And then, yeah, you know, I always kind of kept it around and it became a bigger part of my life. Like in my mid twenties, what I was all about, I got my personal training certification and then I moved out to the city and I started my business. So like I said, in sobriety, I've been like getting after it, you know? So I've been sober 14 months. I ran an ultra marathon in August. Which first off, you're a fucking psycho to run an ultra marathon in August. The heat. Holy shit. Like did, what state did you do that in? I did it. I did it. I just did it by myself. Okay. I just ran. I didn't do like, there was no races. So I was what like, distance did this. you do? I did the basement of a ultra marathon. I did a 50 K. So it's 32 miles. Oh, that's still dude. That's man fit 32 miles in August guys is it's psychotic. It's especially like the humidity is no joke. I did a half marathon in July and I wanted to die. I couldn't imagine doing it in August. It's probably even worse. Um, so huge, huge hats off to that one, man. That's, that's absolutely psychotic and it's, it's crazy, but you know, you know, for, for a guy like you, if you can put the bottle down, and, you know, and you can not pick it up and you can fight through that, then I guess it doesn't surprise me that you can you can tolerate the bullshit that you got to do to do an ultra marathon in August. Because once you once you get in sobriety, everything else is just fuck it. At least it was for me. And that's dude, I, I commend the shit out of that. I, I love it because um, I'm not sure if I'm brave enough to do that. Um, if my run coach ends up listening. To oh, you 100 episode, can you 100 can. It's up here. If you ran a full or even if you ran like 18, like it's it's all in your head. It's all in your head after like a certain distance. I love that. I love that. Thank you. 100% can. You 100% can. So how did you do in that ultra? So like I said, it wasn't like a registered race or anything like that. I just, I just knew it was something that I could do that wouldn't get canceled because everything, there was nothing doing, you know what I mean? So I ran, I think I ran like six hours, something like that. What's the, uh, what's the, what's the pace mile there? Is that like a, I want to say like 11, 12, somewhere in that range. Did you get some elevation? Did you, was it road or trail? It was trail. So I ran prospect park. So I just ran the loop around prospect park continuous. So it's like, there's like a decent up, there's a decent way up. And then the rest of it is down. So it's fairly even like nothing, nothing crazy. How many, how many people stopped when they realized that how many loops do you have to do to hit 50 K there? I did 10. So it was 10 loops around the park. No one really knows. It's so busy. It's so, it's a massive park. You know what I mean? So no one really knows. I did have a client of mine who does the ultra marathons. He like, he came out when I was doing it and like, he brought like some gel packs and stuff. So, and like he did a lap with me. So that was cool. 
But, that is really uh, cool. There, I guarantee whether you realized it or not, there was at least one person who realized that you were like three or four uh, laps in and was like, this guy's a psycho and I love it. And they were probably uh, grumbling. And, you know, you probably don't even realize you probably inspired and pushed someone because there's probably one person out there who was probably struggling with uh, with the weather or with running for whatever the case may be. And you probably inspired and pushed someone to keep going and finish their lap and whatnot. And you might not even know because some people won't even say something. Um, but I'm pretty sure you probably powered someone on to get through whatever they were trying to get through that day as well. And even if it wasn't the fitness journey, maybe, you know, they just motivated them, inspired them to do something else as well that day, just because they were like, yo, if this fucking psycho can be out here doing this, then why can't I do that? Um, and I think that's, that's really cool. Um, you know, for someone like you just, you know, being like a true beast and a savage, I love everything about that. At least thank you. I appreciate it. That's a good thing to think about that. That's a nice thought for sure. But, uh, but yeah, I did that in August and then I wanted to switch gears. So I have a powerlifting competition in a month. So that, so powerlifting is just like your three main barbell lifts. So like your squat bench and deadlift, and you get three attempts to try to get your heaviest weight. Um, and that's cool. You know, like I said, I try to do different things. So one thing I do to try to like keep, not push the envelope too far in any one direction is at least this has been my idea going forward, just kind of flip between like a strength competition and an endurance competition, keep everything kind of balanced and leveled out. You know what I mean? Um, but like I said, I still really want to fight again. And I think I'm at a point now where I can do that. Um, but yeah, but aside from that, you know, training other people. So, and obviously during the pandemic, my business suffered like a lot. So I was very fortunate that I got into the department of education, like that year, like in 2019. So I was still getting a paycheck and everything, thankfully. But, uh, but yeah, I just, my business was pretty much on hold and it was like a decent chunk of my money, you know, like I had like five or six clients, like I kept pretty busy. And then that summer I started to pick up again, like training people in the park, but I wasn't really sure what was going on. It didn't look like my gym was opening up. So I opened up my own studio, crazy small, like it's 192 square foot. It's a little room, but you know, it was just a place I wanted to train my clients and it, you know, it's been doing pretty well. It's kind of grown over the years. I've been, uh, I've been renting it out to other trainers, which proved to be like a profitable arm of the business, which is good. Um, and unfortunately, I am next to on either side of me two piano teachers and behind me is a dude with a recording studio. So the noise is a bit of an issue. So I have to move, but, uh, but I'm moving into a bigger space. So actually what I was hoping to do with the bigger space is to make a kind of, so I train my own clients there. Um, I rent it out to the trainers, but I also want to have a kind of like sober fitness club, like an open gym kind of membership deal where I'm going to like network in the area with different recovery groups and people like that. And just kind of have like an open gym membership kind of deal where people in recovery can come and work out. So you'll go there and know, like, I'm, I don't know if I plan on doing exclusively to people in recovery, but you'll know that you're probably working out side by side, excuse me, with someone that's like going through the same thing as you. I, um, I also have like an online program. I use to help people in recovery called recovery fit. So that's like the platform I use like on Instagram. So which I have is how I found training. you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I use that, um, to promote the online business. So basically it's just like online training. So I have like personal training software that I use. So I write out people's programming and stuff like that, but there's also a cool community aspect. It's like basically like a little Facebook wall. So people can see each other's like fitness milestones. Like, you know, like Glenn just did his workout today and, uh, you know, celebrate sober milestones and things like that. Um, and that's been interesting. So it's like, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier is like what I found in trying to help people in recovery through fitness is everybody tends more towards that, like, go, 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 like run a marathon, like 
do CrossFit, like things that are very like anaerobically demanding. You know what I mean? That, that, and which it makes sense because that's where you get like those feel good endorphins from and stuff like that. You know what I mean? When you get heart rate up, like, you don't, again, you don't get that as much when you're doing like weight training, you know what I mean? So that's one thing I've noticed. So I've been trying to tend, you know, change how I approach it a little bit, you know what I mean? To kind of give people the strength training stuff we touched on earlier. Like I feel like they could kind of need and also give them what they want with that higher intensity stuff. So, so yeah, so basically, like I said, I'm, I'm expanding my, my brick and mortar business. I also have this online aspect that deals with people in recovery. And I'm, I'm trying to make that a big part of what I do with my own business is just helping people in recovery through fitness. Cause I think it's, uh, I think it's one of the best things people can do in that area. You know, I think it's a real tangible way for you to see that you're changing yourself. You know, like you see physical changes. I couldn't um, agree with you more there. Where's the physical location of the, uh, of the new place you're looking at? Yeah. So it's in Gowanus, Brooklyn. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's like, so for uh, our listeners out there who may be in recovery, may not be in recovery, may not have anything to do with it. Maybe they're just listening to this because they like incredibly dope, inspiring shit. Maybe they're listening to this because, um, I tagged you on Instagram and they like following you on Instagram, or maybe they're just a local New Yorker who heard your name around. But if they are A, B, C, or D, which just got mentioned, and they just happen to be a personal trainer and they don't have the location, you know, someone like myself who is personally training certified and doesn't have a gym and doesn't work at a gym um, and the basement isn't completely set up. So they can just come to this location and they can just, and, and you know, I'll let you work those, those formalities out with them, but they can pretty much just throw you a few dollars and they can work things out and they can train your clients train their clients on your property um, without having to just go get their own gym. They can just use your spot and, and work that out with you. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So listeners, I'm, I'm going to say that again. If you're in the New York area and you're a personal trainer, you don't have to be in recovery. All you have to do is be a personal trainer and looking for a location and reach out to my man right here. Um, and he'll talk dollars and cents with you. And you know, if it works out, maybe you can have a location to get your clients going. Um, and we love building each other up. So, you know, that's, that's what this is all about. So, you know, reach out to our boy here cause he's working hard and he's doing incredibly dope shit. And that's, that's what we love all about it. Um, now for, uh, for our competition purposes, um, as far as the, the power lifting competition that you're coming up, um, you know, we constantly talk about running, um, and we talk about biking and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really good at throwing numbers out there and, you know, saying, you know, how fast did you finish the ultra and whatnot? Um, but we got some power lifters and we got some, some quote unquote oh, meatheads that are absolutely, that we, we got some meatheads that are listening That's right it. now. And they're probably thinking back right now. Well, Migs, you asked him how fast he finished the ultra marathon. How fucking strong is he going to lift at this competition? So tell our listeners exactly when this competition is and what your goals are. So for sure. So I have uh, it's May 22nd. It's in uh Balmar, I can't pronounce it. Belmar, New Jersey. It's actually the Atlas gym. The owner's been on the news. His name's Ian something or other. Like famously, like he refused to shut his gym down with the COVID lockdowns and everything. Um, I don't know. It's been on the news. But yeah, so it's May 22nd. So currently my PRs, uh, I got a 435 deadlift, a 335 squat. and How many plates is a 435? That's four of the 45s and then like 15s. Oh my God. (laughs) And I want to get, and I have a 235 bench. So my goal is, I just want to hit a thousand pound total. So that's like, that's like a good show. You know what I mean? That's like a decent outing for like a power lifter. 
especially for my first one. So I want to get, so I want to get the deadlift to, around this number, like they could balance each other out. So like around 450 deadlift, around 350 squat, around 250 bench, just so they add up to a thousand. So maybe like, you know, a 260 bench and like a 340 deadlift would be okay. okay. So you're, you're trying to deadlift squat and bench a thousand pounds on May 22nd. Correct. Yeah. Oh, I fucking love that. And how, how, how big are you? Me? I weigh like 190 right now, which is Oh way, my God. That's the heaviest I've ever been, man. Like I used to fight, I fought, I used to fight at like 165. Um, I usually hover around like 180. You know what so I mean? For our like, people who aren't good at math, understand that our boy here is trying to bench, lift and squat like 500 and like 20% of his body weight um, and just three skills. So that is just unbelievable and unbelievable. Cause I, I, Oh my God. You, now, now when I, when I go to the gym, I'm going to, Oh man, I need to put in some work cause I, I won't be there. Um, cause those aren't necessarily my goals, but man, you just, you just motivated the shit out of me to just want to go like, to go. put like, and you know, I gotta be realistic. You know, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be able to deadlift, uh, that much realistically, um, especially not anytime soon but I'm definitely been motivated and inspired now to just throw like maybe an extra five on each side, just to, to put in a little bit of work. And I think that's all kind of where it starts too, because we all got to start somewhere. You never know. Maybe, maybe one day I might be on your level. Um, but Holy shit. That's unbelievable, man. That's, that's so cool. And so that's admirable, man. That's, that's some savage shit. Um, and I love everything about that. Um, that's so cool. So why don't you go ahead and, um, before we close out here, I want to give you a, a chance to plug yourself one more time. So the gym location is going to be in Brooklyn, New York. Um, tell us how, tell our listeners how they can follow you on Facebook, Instagram, um, emails, phone numbers. You say it, man, this is going to be international. We have listeners in 17 countries. So if they want to find Paul and they want to find recovery fit, how do they do it? hundred percent. Thank you for that. Thanks for that mix. So my, my Instagram is my main thing that I'm using in the recovery world. So that's recovery fit one number one someone took recovery fit it's recovery fit number one um that's my instagram handle you can get my email paul at lapinefit.com my website is just lapinefit.com so my last name l-a-p-i-n-e fit.com um my gym is lapine fitness studios um and again that's located in guanis new york so that's uh off the f train if anybody's local it's off the f and the r is close i believe um and yeah, that's what I got. I love everything about that, man. And uh, you're not too far from me, so I might have to find myself. Uh, you're going to have to keep me in the loop when you have the uh, when you have that new space set up and you have something going on with uh, with like the recovery classes and whatnot. You can count your boy in. Uh, I'll figure something out. I will get out there. I might have to make a day trip with the family and sneak off for a couple hours. And I would love to hit one of those classes and just work side by side with the like minded with other people in recovery. Um and, you know, I'm always looking for reasons to meet people from the ODAP page in person, just meet other people in recovery, um, you know, just share a hug and, and you know, just see what see what you're all about. We're going to have to come out there. You know, I'll take you on a run. You take me on a workout and we're going to have to link this shit up, brother. Uh, 100%, I, I love 100%. everything that you're doing, man. You're, you're motivating people. You're inspiring people. Um, you motivated and inspired me. And, you know, that's why we're here today. That's why I wanted to link you up for this interview. Um, you know, and I, and our listeners can know you didn't reach out to me and say, Hey, I want to be on your podcast. I reached out to you and said, bro, I want you on the fucking podcast. So that's why we're here today. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. Um, if, if you can, and I want to kind of drop this as uh, hopefully I don't forget 
to to start doing this more often. But if you could tell, if you could tell uh, younger Paul, you know, um, Paul that was still actively using and still drinking, if you could, if you could tell him something with what you know now, what would it be? Um, just keep doing the right thing. You know, I think, I think we all know, like you have that like gut feeling, like, like if you're listening to this and maybe you're still drinking, like you probably kind of know like that you shouldn't, you know what I mean? I think we all have that visceral gut reaction and it might not be as loud as we need it to be to, you know, make a change. But I think it's always important to just like go with your gut, you know, like just, just do, do what you know is right. You know? And like, like we kind of talked about before, like maybe I wasn't at the point of that man in the, that I saw in the meeting that day, but you know, I knew maybe that the right thing to do regardless was to stop drinking because maybe I could get there. So just do the right thing. That's what I'd say. For sure. And any, uh, any words of inspiration, motivation, anything you want to share for our listeners before we let you go today? Anything you have for them? Just go get after it. You can work harder than you think. Your body's capable of a lot more than you think. Your body just wants to maintain homeostasis. That's your body's job. Your body doesn't want to think anything difficult. Your body doesn't want any stress. Your body wants to keep everything level and the same but that's a slow death. So don't do that. So go challenge yourself. All right, Paul, this, this episode was a lot of fun today, man. Um, I love when we get to talk to people that aren't necessarily just the runner um, because I don't know too much about the powerlifting world. And it it was so cool to hear this stuff. Um, I can't wait to hear what you're doing on May 22nd. Um, If this episode happens to come out before that, then we'll definitely keep our listeners tuned in. And if you're listening to this episode after May 22nd, then you know how to find out how he did because the results will be there. So until next time, everybody, just know you're loved. Um, Paul, we just want you to keep, uh, you know, keep doing your thing, keep grinding, keep throwing around heavy weights, keep running, just keep doing everything you're doing, Paul. Uh, Everything about the Recovery Fit One page is absolutely amazing, and I'm going to keep following. Um, But until next time, all we want you to do is continue staying healthy, continue staying fit. And, Paul, tell us how you're doing it, brother. One day at a time. I love it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Staying Fit Odette. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group on Facebook at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on and you want to continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, You can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at stayingfitodaat at gmail.com. Until next time, just know you're loved, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.